Good morning. It's the age-old question I think many of us have asked ourselves in this season. When is the appropriate time to start decorating for Christmas? I, I'm sure somebody said August. That's, I love it. I love it. I was going to say, so like, how many of you guys decorate after Thanksgiving? Raise your hand. Okay, okay. How many of you, though, believe that the turkey on Thanksgiving is going to taste exactly the same if there's a tree already up, lights are hung outside, and everything is Christmassy already? Anybody else? Who, who decorates before? Okay, okay. How many of you guys still had your Christmas tree up from last year? <laughs> I, guilty confession, we didn't. Um, <laughs> there are days where I thought we should have. But, <clears throat> but I, I know a guy who literally has kept his tree up the whole entire year. And every season, what he's done is he's kind of like just added different, like for Easter or whatever, he'll add little eggs into the tree and just have all white lights on it, you know, and put like a bunny on the very top. And then like 4th of July comes around. And so it's now like red, white, and blue. And he has like flags and stars all over the place on it. You know, Halloween, you put some little like skeletons in there, orange and purple lights. Thanksgiving, he just shoves his turkey right in there, <laughs> calls it a day. Um, that's how he dry brines it, I hear. You know, uh, we don't eat there. Uh, but that's fine. That's fine. So it's the age-old question, right? Like, how many, when do you start, when is appropriate to start decorating for Christmas? And I think for a lot of us, we enjoy this holiday season. Uh, for the past three years or so, we've gone, my wife and I, and now our, our mini family, we've gone to a tree farm and cut down a tree with our very little but growing family. Um, and I was always one of those artificial trees growing up, right? Uh, but my wife, one holiday season, was like, we should get a real tree. And I was like, we should stick with a fake tree. We have it already. And so we got a real tree. And, <laughs> and we went and we cut it down and we brought it home and... You have to, like, water that thing. You know that? Uh, otherwise, I hear it's a fire hazard. And, and not only that, but we have kids, man. Kids. And thankfully, our kids are pretty good. They're not trying to tear it down quite yet. And this year, when we went, it was 55. It was sunny. We've made almost like a mini tradition now every for the past three years where I think we've gone on Black Friday, so the day after Thanksgiving. We go and we get our tree. And so I was very thankful that we were able to get our tree when it was like 55 uh, and not like five degrees outside. Um, I'm the one who crawls under it and is trying to saw with my two boys, you know, on the ground. Dad, I think you're going crooked. And I'm like, bro, I don't care. It's coming down, you know, and, and they're trying to help. But it's that time of the year where we try to make things more festive. We try to make things feel more cozy and comfy in our homes. We hang different lights. We hang different opportunity, you know, things in our house. Maybe you're like me and you try to put all the breakable ornaments to the very top of your tree. Because with a five-year-old, four-year-old, a 16-month-old, and a five-month-old, if I put those low, something's getting broke. We also have this, all these little trees that somehow jumped off the dollar section shelves at Target into my wife's cart, I mean my cart, made its way home. And Y'all are laughing, but it's true. It's cool. It's cool. They're everywhere. Our boys love them. Our girls love them. And uh, it's, it, we even have this little tykes nativity scene, right? It's not breakable. That's the best part about it. 
Um, one of the wise men is still finding his way since last year to the nativity set. We don't know where he went. Got lost along the way. Uh, but hopefully he, he joins us this year. That'd be great. You know, but a lot of times we become obsessed with decorating. We become obsessed with decorating. It has to be picture perfect. You look on all of these like Instagram and all of these trees that are like just perfectly made. And you're like, how in the world is your tree looking like that? And for some of them, I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh yeah, your tree looks like that because you don't have kids or you don't have an animal at home or it's just you. So your tree looks mighty fine and mighty good. But we become obsessed with decorating. And if we're just going to be honest with ourselves, we don't just decorate our, our homes. We, we also decorate internally. Sometimes we try to make our lives look really good. And so we'll hang lights up and we'll try to make everything look great. And, and sometimes it doesn't go quite as planned. And sometimes you, that's not even. Oh, now it's... I'm a really good, hang on guys, I'll be there in a minute, chill. So like you, you do your best, uh, good enough, right? We decorate though, we decorate. We decorate our spirits even with happiness in seasons where maybe the reality is, is we're not happy at all. But we'll decorate our season, this season and our spirits with happiness to distract us from the hurts and the pains that we're living in currently. We'll decorate our hearts with Festive symbols, festive lights, or even festive themes to keep us from actually processing through the brokenness and the hard relationships in our lives. Maybe we simply decorate our lives with festive drinks. And if we're just going to be honest with ourselves, maybe even just maybe, we have too much. And before we know it, we don't know where we are anymore. And all we feel is deep shame and regret. We decorate our lives so often with things of the world, believing that they're going to bring us freedom and salvation and this fulfillment in our lives. But can I just share that we can't decorate our way into salvation. We cannot decorate our way into salvation through the idols in our life. I know probably what many of you guys are thinking as I was writing this, I thought the same thing of like, wow, what a way to start a Christmas series off. What a way. See, this whole series, Captive Liberator, is a series where we're going to take a, a pretty deep look on what it means for us to live in seasons in our lives and specifically our lives, captive in one way or another. It, if you notice, we have a fence up here. This isn't always here. And uh, the reality is, is that we live in some way, shape, or form almost in a prayer or a prison cell in our own lives in some ways. In some ways, we're, we're captive. Today, I want to talk about how there's a reality that I believe that we are captive to the idol of ourselves. That we have fallen captive to the idol of self and the idol of what others might see or who others might view me as. How do you see me and how do I see you? How do I view you and how do you view me? How do we perceive each other? Do I look okay? I have at least make it look like it's somewhat working in my life. Idols. Many of us don't like talking about idols. 
Because if we talk about idols, once you become aware, you become responsible. And once you become responsible, that means you have to do something about it. And that stinks. Idols. I love the way Tim Keller puts it. This is the way Tim Keller writes about idols. He says, an idol is anything that is more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God. It's anything you seek to give you what only God can give. He continues on. It is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts. If I have that, then I will feel my life has meaning. Then I will know I have value and I then will feel significant and secure. Why would we embrace idols over God though? Like, why do we embrace idols in our lives? Why would I embrace an idol of money or an idol of image and perception of how you view me or an idol of fill in the blank? Why would I embrace that idol over God, though? To strip it really down, it's because the idol is incredibly attractive. The idols are incredibly attractive. When you go through and read the in scriptures, idols were not these things that were ugly. They were... They were rather pleasing to the eye. They were attractive. Idols are attractive. And, and it's nothing new. The people of God have been recorded embracing idols of their day over God. We see that through scripture over and over and over again. And we're warned about it in scripture over and over and over again. And even Jesus, he talks about in Matthew 6. This is what it reads in Matthew 6. Uh, 19 through 21, this is what Jesus reads. And he's talking about money and possessions here. And so these would be, in some ways, possible idols for even some of us. Money and possessions. He goes on and he says, So do not store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. But rather store your treasures in heaven where the moths and the rust cannot destroy. Thieves do not break in and cannot break in and steal. Because wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Treasure. Hear me out on this. Earthly treasure isn't bad. It just has no ultimate value. It's not bad. It just has no ultimate value. Having many things in my life is not going to gain me more value in heaven. Right? If we decorate and only celebrate the earthly, we miss what God is doing and what God wants to do. And so then we become obsessed with the image. We become obsessed with the image that reflects our world rather than him. If I'm only obsessed and if I'm only celebrating and looking at the things of this world and how you perceive me or I perceive you, I'm only looking at it through a lens of an idol. And I think Jesus makes it clear here that we have to have our hearts in in the right place. Because if our hearts are in the wrong treasures, it's going to lead us to the wrong things. As I was wrestling through this, there was an older study that popped up during my, my study time. And, and I know it's older, but so, so just hang with me on this, because I think these numbers would be a little bit different today. But there's a study done back in 1992. And for some of us uh, here, I don't even know if some of us were even born in 1992. Man. Uh, that means I'm old too. Um, but people were asked how much money they would have to make to live out the American dream. The American dream. 
And those who earn $25,000 or, or less a year thought that they would need roughly around $54,000 to make the American dream happen. So then they asked people who were earning $100,000 a year, what would it take for you to live out the American dream? And they came back and they said, I'd probably need about $192,000 a year. What's interesting is that what this study indicated is that we have this false idea that we would need about double what we make right now, double our earthly treasures and possessions to live out the American dream. We don't have enough in our life to live out the American dream. And we're, we're going to chase the idol of self, the idol of perception of the world, the idol of it's all about me. And it's going to take double what I have right now to make that happen. Oftentimes, we, we seek salvation or deliverance or freedom in life through those idols. But we can't decorate our way into salvation. It doesn't matter how good you look. It doesn't matter what you have. You can't decorate yourself and your life into salvation. What if, though, there's a bigger and there's a better dream for each and every one of us to be living in? What if there's a bigger dream? One of the theologians and scholars writes about the passage in, in Matthew, as well as there's a sister passage in Luke. He writes this, that he says, great possessions are generally accompanied by pride, idleness, and luxury. That these are the great enemies in some ways to even salvation in him. We become idle. We become prideful. And we start to essentially live with luxury and laziness. And this is not the way that God has instructed us or desires us to live. So when we try to cover up and we try to decorate our lives out of greed, maybe, maybe even out of appearance, we begin to move all of that above where God should be in our life. And we start to see our identity formed in the possessions and the decorations rather than in who God has called us to be and who God has made us to be. So can I just ask a simple question for us? Do, do the things we have decorated our lives with reflect the things of Christ or the things of man and the things of this world? Like, Do we fill our lives with the decorations of idols in our life rather than the presence of God? If we're just going to call it what it is, we often have a tendency to try and make ourselves feel better about ourselves by the game of comparison. Social media doesn't help, and we seek to become more comfortable with ourselves and our image by going after the newest, latest, greatest stuff. Maybe if I have this new phone, it's going to take a better picture of me, and I'll look better, which means I'll feel better, and other people will think I'm better. So I'm going to get that new phone. You know, if I actually go out and I get that new car, that new car symbolizes success. So then people will see me as successful. And if they see me as successful, they're going to respect me more, which means that they're going to elevate me higher and, and I'll be seen as much more successful and impactful than what I feel I am. So I'm going to go get that brand new car. And I'm going to make sure it's the top of the line luxury edition, right? Like we need not just heated steering wheels and heated seats, but like I need heated buttons on my dash even, Right? There's nothing worse than touching the volume button and it's cold. Got to fix that. 
if I wear certain shoes, people will perceive me as a better athlete. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I get those Jordans, even though I don't have the, the money to make that happen. But because if I have those Jordans, they will perceive me as a better basketball player. And if I'm a better basketball player, at least they think so, then I'm going to get recruited more, and then I'll just get more things. So I'll chase the new clothes and the new things. I'll chase the new it thing over and over and over again. But we don't do it with physical things. We also do it with non-physical things. Like we'll decorate the, this idea of this family party, right? The family party that is super fun and super decorated and everything is great and nobody fight. And it looks like on, on the picture, everybody's having the greatest time. But the pain of brokenness in the family still lingers behind every single fake smile in the picture. But we'll decorate it. Everything looks good. Over and over and over again, we're filling ourselves, our lives, with decorations to distract us from the brokenness in our lives that we actually need deliverance from. Our decorations serve as a distraction from the brokenness in our lives. Why do we decorate How many of you guys have ever taken a selfie? For some of you guys who didn't raise their hand, I know you're lying. <laughs> Straight up. I've been with some of y'all who've taken a selfie and didn't raise your hand. I know it. That's cool. That's cool. I'm not going to sell you out totally. But did you know that there are 92 million selfies taken each and every single day? 92 million. Did you know that it is roughly 54 hours a year on average is spent taking selfies. Instagram, before you actually post a selfie on Instagram, the average is you will take between five and 15 selfies before you actually decide what one to post. It gets better. 90% of users will edit or filter the picture before posting it to make it appear the way they desire. There's also a statistic that says that users on Instagram need a minimum of 20 likes for a picture to feel good about it. Otherwise, we will delete it and try again later, right? It takes on average three to five minutes to get the quote, quote, perfect image. We've elevated the idol of self and perception of self and decoration of our own lives above what God's heart for us is. We cannot decorate our way into salvation, though, through the idols in our life. Over and over and over again. It doesn't matter how good you look on Instagram or be real or whatever it might be. Over and over and over again, you cannot decorate your way into salvation. I love how Tim Keller puts it. He says this, that where you find your significance is the object of your ultimate love. It is, in essence, your salvation. So even if you are a secular person and you don't use such terms, where you find your significance is the object of your ultimate love. I want to come back to that in a hot second, so tuck that away real quick. Can I just ask where are we placing our love and significance, and essentially even our salvation in this season and in our lives? 
Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, he would prophesy of the Messiah to come. And this, this prophecy is so potent, and we have to understand the counterculturalness of the prophecy leading into who Jesus would be years later, hundreds of years later. This is what he writes in 53, verses 2 through 3. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him, and we looked the other way. He was despised, but yet we did not care. Isaiah would write about, essentially, Jesus here, that there was nothing attractive, essentially, about him, nothing to draw us to him. There's no fancy decorations. There's no elaborate clothes that he is wearing. There is nothing but humble submission that he will come to. And that is how he would be attractive to us. And Jesus would not come and he's not going to appeal to us on a surface level because on a deeper spiritual healing is what he came for. If he only came to fix the decoration in my life, he could have rode in on a stallion. He could have rode in with the, the bright purple gown and a, a massive army behind him. Can I just be honest? If he came to, to address my appearance, my physical appearance, he would have not come in the form of a baby. I don't know if he knows or not, but the, there's some newborns that are ugly. I don't know if I can say that. I just, I'm just saying, like, he did not come to address us on our physical appearance. There's a deeper spiritual healing that needs to happen. He seeks to liberate us from the brokenness in our lives that we try to hide behind by putting some cheap tinsel and some lights up. Over and over again, though, we do this. The fact is that Jesus came without big decorations. He didn't come with the big songs or even the big flashy show. It gives me an intimate hope that he actually knows me. He knows me. He knows the true me. The one that doesn't have it all together, the one that is not all decked out, made up, and have it all. That he came and he was a man, a regular man. It wasn't his appearance that made people follow him. It wasn't his clothes that made them like him, and there was nothing to attract anyone to him besides him and his heart. See, when we raise up idols and worship them in our lives, this is the complete opposite of what Christ came to do and what Christ achieved through his life and what Isaiah prophesies about. Christ actually knocks down the worldly way of living and how he modeled how to live. The intimate hope for me is that I, for so many years, have struggled with this idea and this reality of image. Those statistics about selfies, I didn't want to bring them up. I didn't want to write them. I didn't want to read them. I pursued so many days of being the picture-perfect image, having it all put together, at least making it look like I have it all put together, that there was a deep wound that I've always fought internally that I have to wear the right mask and have you perceive me as the right person in the right moment so that you actually won't understand that I am just broken, hurting, and searching just like everybody else. But I know what mask to wear. I know what way to hide it enough and decorate it enough so that I actually look like I'm all together. Competent. I'm good. See, 
deep down, I felt and I knew that in many situations as I put on fake masks, I knew it was not really me. I knew that I was a fraud. I knew that I was basically just acting the part in the moment. But at least you, the people around me, would perceive me as successful. At least the people around me would perceive me as worthy of a conversation. But when I read the scriptures and I read about who Jesus was and who he came and how he came, it gives me this reality that God knows the true me. That God knows the true me that is messy, that is deeply broken, that is at times barely stumbling forward. And not just that he knows me, but that he wants to be with me. And he doesn't say I have to be all decorated, doesn't say I have to be all decked out, and definitely says I don't have to be put together. Earlier on in Isaiah's uh, word, this is what he says. He says, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance, nor make a decision based on hearsay. But rather, he will give justice to the poor. He will make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and the breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt, truth like an undergarment. In the day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat calf, and the yearling will be safe with the lion. A little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near, near the bear. The cub and calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay just like a cow. And the baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of a deadly snake without harm. Because nothing will hurt and destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. This gives me hope that there is a better honest and real savior that can do the impossible. That our decorations in and around the cell of our lives, they won't define us anymore. They won't help you either. But there's only one way to salvation. And it's through the root that comes from, or sorry, the, it is from the, the root of Jesse and David. There's a new branch that will come. It's the only way into salvation. As I was sitting in our teaching team on Tuesday morning with the other lead pastors, and um, we were talking, and I loved how one of them put it, and, and I straight up stole it. There's a lot of us who are spiritually incarcerated right now. There's a lot of us who are spiritually incarcerated. We're living in a prison cell because we've used outward decorations to mask the painful realities of what we are living in. As we close today, as Josh comes up, um, just have a, a question for us. What is the greatest temptation for you to hide behind in your life? What is the greatest, biggest idol maybe that you've decorated your life with? When the world offers you all that it can and all that it does offer us, what is the greatest idol in our lives that we've sold out to? Why have we settled 
for a decorated prison cell. Decorations. <laughs> Cheap decorations. And we settle for it. I'd be curious that if, if we were sitting in a prison cell and God came and he just asked like, hey, what, what decorations need to come down for you to serve me? How would we respond to that? What decorations in our lives need to come down to let God liberate us from the idolatry that we've been serving in our life? For some of us, maybe that idolatry is image. Maybe you're like me. You've been trying to pursue this perception of everybody else around you as being this one and type of certain type of person. Maybe it's an idol that you've made of it. Maybe for some of us, we've made this idol of money and everything we do is to serve the purpose of more money, more money, more money. Maybe there's others of us that <clears throat> our idol is, is the drinks we have with the people we hang out with. Maybe it's the, the things we partake in. Maybe even our idol has become a relationship that we've poured so much into that we can't see that it is toxic and it is broken and it is hurting us from the inside out even. What idols need to come down? What decorations need to come down so that you can be liberated from the idolatry of the world in your own life and serve him? Bob Goff, one of my best friends, um, he says this, we plant sod where God wants to plant seed. We plant sod where God wants to plant seed, but God is more interested in growing our character than having us look finished. We plant sod where God seeks to plant seed. Planting sod is easy. <clears throat> you just lay it down. It looks good very quickly. But God desires to plant seed. It's a process. It takes time, it takes energy, it takes resources. It's powerful when we understand that God is not in the business of decorating us all pretty, looking good so that others around us will be like, wow, they look really good. They look really nice and have it all together. I don't think God's in the business of decorating us. Rather, I would say that God is in the business of redeeming a great mess to make greatness out of it and to use it for his glory and his kingdom. He doesn't care about the decorations. As I started to think about this, if, if I was truly trying to decorate my prison cell, you wanna know what that means to me? I desire to stay in the prison cell. Why would you decorate that? Why would I wanna decorate that? Because decorating a prison cell means I desire to stay there for a long time. Desire to get comfy. Set up home. I don't wanna stay there. I want freedom. I want redemption and restoration. I want more of him and what he offers each and every day of my life. It's also pretty ironic that the most decorated holiday of the year celebrates the most undecorated person to enter the world. Born in a stable. Manger. Smelly and everything else. So what idols need to come down so that we can have more of him? more of his presence and his love in our lives. <clears throat> so during this next song, 
this, this front area is just going to become an altar. And I know for many of us that's really uncomfortable. To, I'm, I'm actually asking people to, to step from their seat and walk up to the front and lay down essentially their idol. What idol, what decoration needs to come down in your life so that you can experience more of him each and every day? As this front becomes an, an altar, I'm just going to be very honest about this. Um, I'm going to be the first one to lay it down. My idol of perception and self that somehow continues to creep in because I'm a broken man just like you and I need redemption just like each and every one of us. So I'm just going to pray for us and then during this next song, if you if God is nudging you and, and moving you to a place where you want to come to the front and lay down an idol, maybe it's also just laying down brokenness and things that you're carrying today. This front is just going to be an altar of prayer. There might be people who come and pray over you. There might be people who are, are standing next to you, praying with you. It's just a way that we as the body of Christ get to go to him together in community. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we come before you and we just ask that you continue, Lord, to just move and do what only you can. I ask that you just continue to speak to us, continue to move us, Lord. And as we just prepare this front as an altar, Lord, would you just receive the, the idols that we're about to lay down? Would you just receive these and, and would you take them, Lord? And would you, would you just do with them what you desire, Lord? Would you just move them, throw them far away, Lord? Would we leave them at this place and that would we leave with your presence and your love and your grace resting upon us? God, we seek to follow you. We seek to pursue you. So during these next few minutes here, Lord, would you just meet us right here, intimately, deeply, and personally, Lord. We love you and praise in your name. Amen.